After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another draft podcast on the Baseball America podcast feed. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined as always by Peter Flaherty, who has uh, been nice enough to come out of his cave or his his office where he has been absolutely grinding on college preseason content. And it's February 1st, so it is the month that college baseball is officially here. We've got our college top 25 on the website. We've got our preseason top 200 draft rankings for the 24 class. I know Peter has also been hard at work on some underclass rankings that we have on the horizon. So busy times, but we can really we can really smell the season around the corner at this stage. Peter, how are you doing, man? Good. As I said before we hopped on, I'm I'm neck deep in all of this stuff, but as it's starting to like finish up and I'm I'm cranking these out. Uh, there is the light at the end of the tunnel that one, I'm done doing it. And two, we have the college season that starts two weeks from today, assuming that you're listening to it on Friday. Uh, so there's a ton of exciting stuff. I'm really fired up to be back on here with you after the release of the top 200 and after our really insightful interview last week with Coach Sean McGrath, which for my money's worth was my favorite episode to this point um just a ton of knowledge bombs Mm -hmm. and a lot of really good stuff that was said and i i really learned a lot yeah me too unfortunately i don't know if we're going to be able to clear that bar on this podcast we don't have coach mcgrath on this time to uh (laughs) to keep dropping that knowledge but hopefully we'll at least make it entertaining if we can't make it as informative as that but um yeah so we've got 200 out we've got college top 25 i'm curious about your process for college top 25, um, how difficult or easy it was to settle on that order with, with Teddy. I know this isn't like specifically the college podcast. I assume that that one's going to get rolling as the college season gets here, but we can also talk through top 200 changes process to that. And you also have the college preview issue of the magazine done. Uh, it was basically you and Teddy doing a, a Herculean lift on that issue. And it, it sounds like all those are sold out at this point, which is fantastic. Yeah, I, I like I said, I was Teddy and I recorded our first college podcast of the season, which is also now in your inbox. It's an hour and a half long, tons of in-depth stuff. As as, as I was saying on that, I went on last night to try and, to try and buy a copy for my grandma, and I saw it was sold out, and I was like, damn. <laughs> but it was uh, I I was happy to see it was sold out because one, that support means more than. I or probably anyone can really properly put into words. It's a really Mm. special thing to see. And, you know, also it is like validating to see that you did a good job and and people are wanting to 
you know, read what you're saying about the college game and, and people are excited about the college game. Yeah. Or they were just uh, really excited about Travis Bazana's jawline and that photo yeah, on the cover. It's an, it's an 80 jaw. Uh, <laughs> he, it, the, the jaw might be the carrying tool of even of has yeah. his loud tool set. Um, but that cover is, is so sick. So, yeah, I was telling recently I was, uh, I think someone, we, the cover came out and I was talking about it. And I think between that cover with Travis Bazana and, uh, Gavin Turley, if you guys haven't seen it yet, it's on our accounts. You can see it. You can see it on the site if you want to look at that. Um, and also the Adelaide Rutschman draft preview cover from 2019, which you guys can't see this, but it's directly behind me. I have it like blown up on the wall. I think Oregon state is responsible for two of my all time favorite BA covers. And this one is, is pretty elite. I love the posed, like not game action shots, like the, the very like cover shoot magazine style covers that we have. I, I just think they always look so clean and something about the, the Oregon state uniforms. I, I believe it's the same photographer actually took both of these covers for us. So, um, those are all timers for me. Yeah. That like media day style is really cool. And then also in, for those of you that seen the cover know, but I love like the last hurrah. Everything is super crisp about it and clean. Like it's just a really big time looking cover. Um, and I think it, it, it obviously fits the bill of Bazana and the Beavers, but mm-hmm. uh, circling back to the top 25 process, it was not as easy as last year where Teddy and I essentially hopped on the phone and we're like, okay, LSU's one, and then went through <laughs> everyone else. Yeah, like there was legit discussion around obviously Wake, who is the number one team, and and rightfully so, but also LSU, Arkansas, Florida, and Oregon State as being that that top team. And then after that, um, you can really shuffle a lot of these teams at least seven through. 12 in any which way that you'd like even six through 12 and there's a mm-hmm. valid argument for for all of them and i think like getting towards the back of the top 25 that's where it also gets hard because there are teams that you know if it was a top 30 they are a thousand percent in the rankings and you mm-hmm. kind of get to splitting hairs and going out on a limb maybe and putting in one team over the other but the having northeastern and uc irvine at 24 and 25 those are two teams that i think uh they have the talent to make a, a cinderella run to omaha and then uh further up iowa at 20 it's probably the trendiest omaha sleeper pick at this point i don't know how much of a sleeper at the yeah, i was about are. to say do you do you count as a sleeper if you're on a preseason top 25 so in my five omaha sleepers article i disqualified anyone that was ranked inside the top 20 because like northeastern like yeah. that's a sleeper team to get to omaha but they're ranked. That makes sense yeah that makes and sense. and so is irvine so i just i took out anyone in the top 20 but uh you know there's i i think it speaks to the talent in college baseball that one it was a difficult discussion to come up with a clear-cut number one team and two where we were sitting there on the call and we had tossed around i think 35 teams um that were in discussion to be ranked so uh i i think we've got another really fun season on tap both both from the team aspect and also on the prospect side of things as well 
Yeah. So I noticed two parallels on the college top 25 um, with the top 200 draft list. These lists are going to have some overlap because typically the top teams in the country have a lot of talent. So it makes sense that those teams would also have a lot of draft prospects. But there are, so I guess at the very top, which you mentioned initially, the kind of lack of a clear cut number one in the same way that you had last year with LSU kind of mirrors the fact that we don't really have a clear-cut number one prospect on the draft list. Um, and in our release of the top 200, we have a supplemental piece kind of making the case for six players who have legitimate cases for 1-1 at this stage. So that's kind of fascinating how it was the same for you guys when figuring out the top 25. The other element that I noticed very quickly on looking at this list is that eight of the teams on this top 25 are Carolinas-based teams um, between North and South Carolina. And I was also talking to a scout last week, and I've been kind of, I have this plan to write about the talent of North Carolina specifically, but it might be worth expanding to just the Carolinas in general. The state of North Carolina is exceptionally loaded on draft talent. It might be the best year ever for the state, which is pretty impressive considering it's a routinely like a top five or six state in, in terms of just producing players a, a lot of that has to do with just the number of quality college programs um but the fact that there are eight teams in, in the carolinas in general on the top 25 that is basically a third of the list seems pretty crazy to me and none of them none of them feel like surprise teams or teams that like look out of place here so i guess it just is a testament to how good college baseball is in that region yeah, without a doubt. And and to your point, when we're sitting on, on night one of the draft, it's not impossible where the state of North Carolina, it could end up making four, let's see, one, two, three, potentially three to four of the top 10 overall picks, um, depending on how everything shakes out. And you've also got uh, ECU, who's got yeah, Savage and and JJC, they've also got a blue chip freshman, Bristol Carter, Bristol Carter, who is a mega dude for 25. Um, and then NC State, uh, they've got one of the better freshman classes in the country. Duke and UNC, UNC is the headliner in Honeycutt. Duke's got the headliner with um, Santucci and also Fran O'Shell um, and Andrew Healy, but also teams that that didn't even crack the top 25 from the Carolinas, you've got College of Charleston, who's always a quality team. Um, they have Cole Mathis, who's a potential day one guy, probably a, a top 100 overall draft pick. They have Darian Pendergrass, who I think is going to take a lot of people by surprise and be a top 10 round draft guy. And then Campbell's always really competitive, and they have Derek Vartanian, who could really pop and end up pitching his way into the top five rounds. So both in the top 25 and out, there is – plenty of Carolina representation and, and loads of talent. I very much envy anyone who has Carolina as their area, as an area scout uh, <laughs> or as a cross checker, or is just down in that region and based in that region, because yeah, like there will be a, I mean, there, there are just so many players and so many quality programs to see. It is always a good year to be just based in the triangle in general, which is where I was from, I guess pre 2000, 
pre-2020, and I've been Virginia since 2020, basically. Uh, But this year, especially, I'm really uh, lamenting the fact that I no longer live in the Triangle because I'm already planning to make a lot of trips to Winston-Salem, just specifically for the amount of talent Just Wake Forest has. But all of the other players around and just the amount of quality teams you get coming through the Triangle for ACC, the, the quality smaller school uh, teams there like Campbell is a bit of a pitching factory at this point. East Carolina does a great job recruiting, getting to see some of the the preps in both South Carolina and North Carolina this year. Um, it's just a very strong year for the state. But I won't linger too much on on how great my home state is, Peter. Uh, do you want to go more towards team talk initially, or do you want to get into this two hundred and maybe some of the movers on the list? Yeah, I'm I'm down to get get into the top two hundred because we had mm-hmm. movement at the top, uh, yeah. most notably 1-1, one, one, and then also throughout the board in general. Yeah, so I'll, I'll ask you this, because uh, there's also a podcast that I have with Ben on Future Projection where we talk about the top 200. Um, so I'm trying not to like basically say the same things here, and I'm curious to get your perspective on the top of this list. Uh, initially, when we made this flip, a lot of people might say, oh, nothing has really changed in the offseason. Why are players moving around? Well, I think like our process, we're constantly trying to gather as much information as we can, constantly talking to new scouts, soliciting more feedback. There's also a, a pretty big, I would say, a mover in terms of how our lists work is the, the annual polls we do with our scouting directors, just getting feedback from that and then having some conversations from that annual preseason All-America poll that our, our scouting de- directors do for us, which I'm incredibly grateful that the industry does that. I think that's just like a cool wrinkle for our list. Um, but we get feedback from that as well. And and just after digging into the profiles, looking at the history of the profiles, um, like just the demographic profiles of these players, and also just asking like in our Slack as we were debating putting JJ Weatherholt one uh, and just kind of flipping it with Nick Kurtz, like everyone in the BA Slack at least prefers Weatherholt. I think it just feels like a, a safer profile for whatever reason. Um, but in the industry too, I think it could be the case where Weatherholt is just a more appealing profile. I also don't want to like go out here and say like Weatherholt is the clear one one because I just think the class as we sit here today doesn't really have that player. And there's more of like a number of players who, depending on your philosophy um, or depending on how the spring breaks out, could easily get into that range. But where do you stand on JJ Weatherholt one versus either Kurtz or any number of players behind him at this point? Yeah, I I think one, as we go through the draft cycle and the season progresses, there are going to be so many names uh, being tossed around as potential one, one guys, whether it be the, favorites like Weatherholt, Kurtz, Bazana, even Caglione, or maybe even a dark horse like Sirota um, or, or Seaver King. But in, tra- in talking about Weatherholt versus Kurtz, personally, I'm, I'm Weatherholt at 1-1, and that is not a knock on Kurtz at all, and it is more just a testament to how good Weatherholt is. I think he is the most complete hitter in the country, and that's saying a lot because my man Bazana, I love Bazana, but Weatherhole is the most complete hitter in the country. The hit tool is I'd be very comfortable sticking a seven on it, and I think a lot of others are too. Outstanding feel for the barrel. He hammers the ball to all fields. The contact ability is is elite. Big time bats, but he's also a plus runner. I, I think also what may have thrust him into that one-one spot, at least for now, is this fall he played shortstop for West Virginia. The returns were pretty positive. If a mm-hmm. team is convinced that if, if the guardians um, are, are rather convinced on his ability 
to stick at short long term. I think he becomes more of a yeah. of a slam dunk one one type guy. But I think the shortstop element is key because if you look down the list, I, I think in general the quality of talent of a draft can be like a, a proxy for that. Just like a thumbnail view is how good are your shortstops in the class. And if you look down at our top 30, there is no like lock shortstop who's going to project at the position who, who is a lock for the first round at this stage, both on the college and high school side. Um, and so if you can have one of these elite offensive hitters or elite offensive uh, college players at the top, if that player then displays a, a, a real shortstop profile, I think that is a separator because one of the critiques we're getting on the class as a whole from scouting directors is that there's just a lot of corner profiles here. Second base has never gone 1-1 overall. That's kind of the knock against both Weatherholt and Bazana. And I do think you're right. Like the fact that Weatherholt played there in the fall and is expected to play there this spring, he just has, I think, more leverage uh, in his favor outside of just going out and mashing like his profile looks different if you can look at him and say this is a shortstop who does everything he's doing versus a second baseman it, it's a substantial difference for me yeah and again it's not a knock on kurtz who like he's got double plus raw power hit tools plus he's a plus defender over at first but when you add in to weatherholt's already really complete profile the fact that he could stick at a premium position like it's impossible to pass up on that and i think as we go through the spring, it's going to be such a fun arms race to see who ends up going 1-1 because I I feel really confident in Bazana posting a very similar, if not even more gaudy stat line as he did last year. Um, Kurtz is Kurtz. Caglione is a once-in-a-generation type talent. And then it'll be really fun to see also where guys like, like – Mike Sirota, Seaver King, Vance Honeycutt, how they end up shuffling themselves and then, you know, looking further down the board as like potential big time dark horses, how the how the prepsers look, especially Connor Griffin. I saw a video of Connor Griffin mm. on Twitter a few days ago, and he looked really freaking good on the mound. Um, obviously, he's an elite mover, big time athlete, but it was a pretty easy 96 with a good looking slider. Um, I don't think he's Right now, I, I don't think he's a 1-1 type guy, but uh, I'm I'm interested to see, especially how he looks on the mound this yeah. spring, because I think I think that's only going to really help him. Yeah, he's a tool shed. And I asked Ben this question on future projection. I'm curious what your answer will be. Let's say, Peter, that you are in charge of picking five overall. And in front of you, it goes J.J. Weatherholt, Nick Kurtz, Travis Bazana, Jack Caglione which player at this stage are you most excited about with that fifth overall pick? Because I feel like there's a, a large group of players that gets fairly muddled. I mean, the whole thing I think you could say is muddled, um, but this also gets us out of the range of the obvious names. And I'm curious of the next people up, the players available, who you would go for. I have a guess who you're going to take, um, but I'm curious if, if that guess is right. I'm trying to trying to get an understanding of your 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 player type like I, I know Ben's yeah so one that's a, a great question because it also has now tipped me off to like this very interesting and weird potentially gray area very early on in the draft mm. I'm down to two names that I'm like mentally can I guess can with. I guess who the names are yes I'm guessing the names are Sirota and Seaver King 100 okay. percent yes so I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess you go with Seaver King yes yeah, so. <laughs> okay cool 
I was wrestling with King and Sirota. Like, what what gives King the edge for me is one. Obviously, look at what he did last year, last spring. That's great at the Division Two level. But what he did on the Cape and with USA was even louder. Uh, he hit 424 on the Cape, made a made the team on Team USA. He is super super athletic and explosive in the box. Thunderous bat speed. There's above average power to the pull side. The bat to ball skills are above average. He's also a plus runner, borderline double plus. I think what's going to set him apart and really, really turn teams on to him picking in this range is if he's able to stick in center field, how Weatherholt could potentially be viewed as a shortstop because he's an elite level athlete. He's a plus runner. The baseball sense is advanced. When you stick him out in center field, I'm curious to see how he looks when you're just going to let him run around and let those let his athleticism and speed really shine. Because if you're convinced on his ability to play a pro level center field and he produces how I think he'll produce, um, which is like he's got, I think, 15 to 20 home run upside and, and 20 stolen base upside. So you're you're looking at a 2020 guy who's a center fielder. Um, and is one of the better performers on a potentially national championship winning team. Uh, I, I'd, I'd give the slight edge to King though. If I were picking six, I would definitely, I'd take Sirota right after him because it's similar five tool upside wiry athletic frame. Maybe even I, I like Sirota's body better at six, three, one ninety, more of a wiry athlete, really quick hands at the plate. One of the better approaches in the draft he's a plus runner also a really good athlete um the arm is average but i've already seen him play center field i'm very confident in his ability to stick there um there could be some more power coming but uh it's a geez now that i talk about him it's a <laughs> it's a very interesting hypothetical i don't think you can go wrong gun to my head though i'd 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 probably pull i'd, I'd take king yeah Okay, well, that's interesting. And as you were talking, I had a question as well, because you mentioned King potentially being uh, a really impressive defender and center with 2020 upside. So I guess how questionable is Vance Honeycutt's hit tool for you? Because he actually does have a 2020 season under his belt. He homered 25 times, stole 29 bags as a freshman in 2022. And I think you could make the easy case that uh, Vance Honeycutt is the most dynamic defender of any player we've talked about at a premium position and he already has shown that for two years um obviously the big question with honeycutt is like the hit tool i wrote about it in the case for um number one piece like his biggest question is like he's never hit 300 in a college season so is he even kind of in in your personal consideration i guess how how questionable is the hit tool for you at this stage because the other tools and his track record in terms of power speed defense um, they're all up there with these guys are better. Yeah, I think when looking at premium defenders in the draft, Honeycutt is far and away the best one in center field. He's an elite level defender, makes big time plays in big spots, like tons of ground to either gap, great athlete, can really, really run. But I, like with everyone, the hit tool is my biggest concern right now because he had this world beating type freshman year where he hit 296 with 25 jacks and 29 bags everyone was talking about him as at least way way early on as the one one guy in 24 and someone who's going to have a monster sophomore year he could 
hit 30 home runs and steal 30 bags. Um, but his production took a step back. Uh, it He refined the swing and miss a little in the pitch recognition skills, which led to, a, I think it was a 9% decrease in overall miss rate, but the production was way down. So like, I think the key for him is going to be finding a happy medium between having that sound more polished approach while maximizing his production. I just, I love what he is on the grass. I love the body. I love the athlete. I just really worry about the production at the plate. I'm way more convicted on yep. someone like a Honeycutt or a King at the plate. Or a Sirota or a King, you mean? Oh yeah, sorry. Then a yep. King on a yep. King and Sirota than I am Honeycutt right now because mm-hmm. while Honeycutt's got them beat in the athleticism and defense department, um, I don't think King and Sirota are too too far off, and I I I, I like the bats um, more right now. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to see what Honeycutt does this spring. I think maybe he has, of these guys up in the top range, the most like positive upside to be gained just because he he doesn't have the sort of offensive track record that these other players do. And, and if he has this kind of all-world season, um, you're going to have to really think hard about passing up that tool set, that profile, that defense. Um, I said it in the piece, he has like prototypical 1-1 tools and in, in athleticism compared to a lot of the other guys around him. I think Caglione obviously has his own set of freakish tools. Um, but all the other players, like you can kind of look at them and say, you know, this doesn't really look like what a typical one, one looks like in, in a number of different ways. Another yeah, like player. The, yeah, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. no, I was just going to say with Honeycutt, when you look at him in person, you watch how he moves. Um, you kind of look at him and you're like, okay, you know, this is, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is a big leaguer. And I think, he could throw a real wrench um, and muddy the waters of the one-one conversation if he goes out, which he very well could. He's shown he well, he hasn't shown this part yet. But if he if he sets a career best in average, if he ends up like you know even three ten to three twenty, gets gains some of that power prowess back from the freshman year. I mean, he's got plus power to the pull side. He can drive the baseball with authority to the opposite field gap. Um, if he if he has his best year to date. Um, maybe not in the the power department with twenty five jacks, but I mean, if he hits in the three fifteen to three thirty range and produces like that, yeah. that suddenly becomes very very difficult to pass up on. So I'm very curious what the like history is of top five college players with a career average of two seventy nine. Uh, I don't really think average um, deserves all the like. I think they're better stats we can look at to evaluate a player outside of average but i do think it's really important for draft prospects and at the college level um i I would be very surprised if there are a number if there was much of a sample at all of top five college hitters who have a career batting average lower than 300 and it's just weird to think about vance honeycutt being at 279 right now because it's not like he was far off in 2022 he had 296 his freshman season and that fell all the way to 257 uh, as a sophomore, despite that increase in, in overall contact. So bit of a weird one there with Honeycutt. Moving further down the list, Peter, there is this sort of cluster of pitchers in the middle of the top of the first round for us. I'm curious if you have a favorite of this group. And then I'm also curious what you think about Kalen Culpepper, uh, shortstop, third baseman at Kansas State. He was one of the more prominent up-arrow players in this most recent round of feedback. I think that was probably mostly just course correcting and, and getting a guy who previously I had a bit too low. 
Um, but I also think him moving up speaks to the industry's excitement about his athleticism and tool set because he's another player who's moving over to shortstop this spring. Um, he looked pretty electric at times last summer, was one of the better hitters on Team USA's final roster. Uh, if he can kind of be that shortstop with the offensive upside, I think he's got room to move up as well. So throwing a lot at you there, but take it however you want. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, starting with Culpepper, you hit on it. He's a really exciting combination of physicality, speed, and athleticism packed into this six feet tall, 190 or so pound frame. Um, I He's got advanced barrel awareness. I really like the bat to ball skills. Like you mentioned, he had a great year for Kansas State last year. He hit over 320 um, with, I think, 18 extra base hits and 41 RBIs in 40 games. And they had a great stint with Team USA as well, where he hit 391 with uh, f- six extra base hits, including three home runs in just mm-hmm. 13 games. So he really produced. Um, I The bat speed is plus. He rotates really well in his swing. There's a lot of torque there in his lower half. Um, finishes his swing well. I, I think that last year, while he played third for K-State, they're going to have him over at short. And I caught him really good this summer at short on the Cape. Um, the the athleticism really translates. He's got soft hands with smooth actions. 
does a really nice job of working around the baseball and it's a legit 60 grade arm um from shortstop and third like he's gonna stick on the left side Mm. and i think it's a really well-rounded profile and again like i think that he is gonna sell teams pretty quick and i think he already sold teams this summer on his ability to stick at shortstop like he isn't that kind of spazzy speedy athlete that makes the game look really fast at shortstop sometimes like he Mm -hmm. is like he's got that suave like action to him and it's it's a very smooth um looking defensive profile and i i think that the the overall product of culpepper is um i i it it really excites me and i think Mm -hmm. that where he's ranked right now 23rd is a is a good range for him i think it's like that 18 to 30 or so range yeah um and then on the pitching side that's a really tough one because I think you've got the you've got the high floor with Beam, the high arguably the highest ceiling with Brecht, um, and then also a combination of floor and ceiling. I think with Santucci, mm. and gosh, I, I don't want to like <laughs> fill it with dead air so much. So I no, you're good. I, I think what's interesting to me about the pitching in general of this class is there's no clear-cut leader it, it seemed like the industry's the industry felt safest with josh hartle both his profile and what he's done in the past i think both hartle and drew beam have maybe the most appealing track record as starters then you have guys at the opposite end of the spectrum like chase burns and Brody brecht who have just elite pure stuff arm speed upside but some reliever question marks that need to be answered. And then you have left-handers like Jonathan Santucci and Hagen Smith that are maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, they both split time as starters and relievers. There may be some questions in terms of like what their ultimate starter role is going to be. Maybe some questions in terms of what the command overall is, but really great stuff from the left side. So like you have a lot of options wherever in the spectrum you want to go towards, whether that's ultra safe uh, or ultra ultra risky with some more upside potential mixed in. So I'm curious if if we will get some sort of a specific pecking order with these players throughout the spring, if anyone will. I don't think anyone in this class is going to go full Paul Skeens, but just in the standpoint of like very early on in the season, Paul Skeens kind of put himself in that number one pitcher category in a class where we entered it with a consensus player in that category in in chase dolander and dolander did take a step backwards um but i'm I'm just very curious if that'll happen when it'll happen how quick and i guess now if you had to pick a player let's say let's say 20 hitters have gone off the board straight all you have at the top of your list are pitchers who is the guy you're taking because i i don't really like josh hartle is probably the guy that i'm taking but i don't get really excited about that pick if that makes sense and i know like with some teams in the first round they want to go for as much upside as they can. Other teams, maybe they're just like, we really want a big leaguer with this pick. We can't afford to miss here. And if you're taking a pitcher, Josh Hartle is probably the like most likely big leaguer of the group. So I could see arguments for all the above. I'm curious uh, who you would take. Yeah, it's an interesting crop. And with Hartle, you hit on it perfectly. Like he's the only guy in the draft right now or one of the only guys in the draft at least arms wise where you can look at him and be like okay i can see him pitching for 15 20 years in the big leagues like i it's he has the best command and control of any arm in the of any arm in the class and he's also seen an uptick in stuff which 
might be the most underrated part of his game. Like that cutter is legit. He's got two distinct breaking balls. The fastball has been up to 94 with some life. Um, and on top of that, you've got a six, five lefty with a pretty clean operation, low effort delivery, probably a, a, a fourth starter at the big league level, three or four type guy. Um, but a really darn good one at that. So it'd be tough to go against Hartle, but also, you know, his fellow Wake Forest teammate, Chase Burns, you've got borderline 270 pitches with his fastball. It's been up to 102 with run and ride through the zone. His hellacious power slider, his changeup has allegedly improved by leaps and bounds this fall. Like, you know, with him being at Wake and around that, the developmental resources and in that pitching lab, they're going to get every ounce out of chase burns that they can and maximize who he is as a pitcher, both with how he moves and, and also in his stuff. So that's a really interesting debate. I, I'd, I'd probably go with burn burns. Um, <laughs> as you can tell how convicted I am yeah. on it. Uh, but I think it speaks to, you know, the level of talent and then also some of the question marks, but mm-hmm. going back to that, previously mentioned cluster of beam brecht and santucci right now i'd i'd probably take santucci mm. um six two lefty really clean arm stroke athletic kid he, he he moves well on the mound repeats his delivery well it's low effort fastball will sit two to five and bump bump a six it's got carry through the zone um generates a lot of swing and miss when located in the top half of the zone and gets over the barrel of opposing hitters like it's a probably a plus heater from the left side. And then he's also supplementing that with, I think, all, another plus pitch in his low 80s slider um, that last year had a 51% miss rate. It's got really tight two-plane break. Manip- manipulates his shape well, and it'll take on more of a gyro look with some depth against right-handed hitters. He'll back foot it. Um, and then he's also got a changeup that, it, you know, this fall and last spring has has really flashed plus and, and could end up as a true plus pitch down the road. And so now you're talking about a athletic lefty starter with three plus potentially plus pitches. Like how long does that last? Like not long. So of that trio right now, I'd probably take Santucci. But again, after having coach McGrath on and just watching Brecht with (laughs) our own two eyes for so long, like he could very well come out in the first few weeks of the season show off his trademark fastball breaking ball combo. And then also this, this newly (laughs) like uh, adopted split change that the numbers on are silly. Uh, can't disclose them, but the numbers on them are it it's crazy. Um, (laughs) and he could, you know, pop off and, and start throwing, uh, you know, more quality strikes, be around the zone more. Um, and if teams are convinced on him as a starter, yeah, that's not going to last long. So yeah, that's the thing of... I want to see with Brett. If he comes out, if, I don't even if he didn't add a single pitch, if he just started throwing more strikes, I think he'd have more than enough stuff. So like seeing the walk rate, seeing the strike rate, seeing the command, how that's improved, how the offseason has helped him in that regard, like as a pitcher is is massive for him. I'm very excited to see him. Um, yeah, he, he's maybe the most like exciting player to watch on this list of any like literally of any player um but he just has to throw more strikes it's it's very simple for him yeah no if like again we talked about it with coach mcgrath but like if that competitive pitch rate goes up and he's around the zone more like you know that 
he becomes immediately he already is just for the pure stuff but he is one of the more exciting college arms in in recent memory well i'll go to maybe the the most prominent riser on this up on this update um and that's in the high school ranks we're looking at right-handed pitcher duncan marston who was not on the hundred there are a couple players at the very back end of the top 100 portion of this list who also uh joined the hundred but marston is the most prominent we slotted him in at 35 overall he's a right-handed pitcher out of harvard westlake high the same high school that bryce rayner uh, who was previously in the first round range and is still in that range on today's update uh, so they got a pair of potential first rounders at a school that um, certainly has a history of producing lots of talented players certainly lots of pitchers have come out of harvard westlake in the past but marston uh, again a benefit of playing in california you get started early he came out and started touching 99 miles per hour showing a potential plus slider with a great body listed six foot four 215 not a ton of effort to get up to that velocity uh he was a name that last fall i was told to like keep an eye on marston has a tj on his track record so he missed some time in his high school career and maybe didn't have quite the reputation that some of his peers were able to develop just given some of that health but he's rocketed up this list Kind of in the same same way that we're talking about the college pitchers, I don't think there is a clear-cut number one high school arm. Maybe it's it's Cam Caminiti, the left-handed pitcher out of Arizona who reclassed from 25. But I, I think the door is wide open for someone to come out here and establish themselves as the like noble Meyer um, in this class. I, I don't think right now we have a pitcher with as, as few question marks and as complete a profile as noble Meyer. But Duncan Marston, if you guys like pop-ups, um, risers he's the name to know at this point watching some video of some of his early outings have been really fun to see and if he's able to maintain that sort of stuff throughout the spring this year for Harvard Westlake he'll have certainly a ton of eyeballs on him just where he's playing the school he's playing the geography um, he'll have every opportunity uh, and again I think there are some there's some scouts that already view him as a first rounder some teams that maybe want a little bit more history We'll want to see him do it a few more times before they're there. But the fact that he jumps to 35 this early in the season, I think, speaks to the sort of arm talent he's shown. So definitely check up on the report for Marston if you're not familiar with him, because I think he is the the most like new, shiny new name that's on this list in a prominent range. Yeah, and I remember that video, and it's like it was one of those like classic infamous like rap soto inside videos with a big time velo number but i remember seeing it pop up on my twitter timeline like right around the new year and i was like holy crap like who is this kid and then he from there he gained a ton of traction you hit on it perfectly like six four righty physicality in the lower half i it's a very easy and rhythmic operation with present arm speed i think the key for him is going to be um, you know, improving in the command and control department, establishing a, a quality secondary or two, but like I, you, you want to talk about a guy that can really pop and be, you know, a, a, a potential first rounder or top two rounder. Um, Marston's the guy like, and you talk about good clay. He's the definition of it. He's got a pro body, really smooth and clean mechanics, budding stuff. He's already got a premium fastball um he's a he's going to be a very fun one to follow all right any other players in this top end of the list you want to talk about before i want to ask you about who's like a player that that you like either at the back of this list or maybe who's not even on the 200 that you're excited about like a sleeper name or two to throw out there 
Or thoughts on just demographics part, and overall draft, whatever in you want to do. In the top part, what number qualifies to what, where are we Where are we? I'd say day, day one, if there's any other day one names you want to mention before we move on to some like 75 plus guys. No, I think I think I think you hit on them perfectly. And again, there are like updated reports for all these players on the site. If you guys want to just read the whole list in its entirety or read a more full report of some of the players we've mentioned, um, that's all available for you now. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious about a few players of a similar profile, and that's like a really toolsy high school outfield profile. There are a number of these players in the 150 to 200 range. I will just list off a few and so you guys can kind of keep these names in mind throughout the spring. One of whom is Demarion Terrell, an outfielder out of Alabama. Uh, he is at 156 on the board and has this really intriguing blend of physicality, speed, raw power, bat speed. Um, it sounds like he's a guy who could pop even more than where he's at now if he has a strong spring. Uh, just really tooled out, getting some really loud comps. Jackson Miller, an outfielder out of Florida, who's committed to Ole Miss. He was originally in the 2025 class. Last year, he reclassed to 24. He's got an intriguing power speed blend. Um, another player who qualifies here is Anthony Quigley, an outfielder, another outfielder from Florida. He's a South Florida commit. I got to see him last summer at Baseball Factory's All-America game. He has a super projectable body, lots of bat speed, raw power. I think he's a decent runner underway, and he feels like a guy who, depending on the offseason he had, it wouldn't shock me if he came out looking incredibly strong. Um, tools jumped a little bit. Uh, he's a fun one. And then the last one I have is Nate George. Um out of Illinois. He's an Eastern Illinois commit. Um, multi-sport background, I think football and track, uh, great speed, lots of power, physical frame, and he performed well at a few key events in the fall. So those are all kind of like similar profiles that I feel like are not super super well-known names at this point, but they're, they're players with tools, with athleticism, with upside. And if they hit well this spring, and add some conviction to just the projection of those hit tools moving forward for cross checkers who are going to be going in to see them. Um, watch out for them. They're just a, really fun profiles, but I'd say just keep those names in mind. Yeah, I'm I'm happy you hit on those guys. You're more well versed, especially in the in the deeper, at least deep outside of the one top 150 or so prep guys than I am. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm happy to hear about them. And then in looking. In sticking on the 200, a few guys that I like in that like 135 and on range. I like Nick McLean at Arizona State, switching an outfielder with some thump from both sides, above average arm in the outfield. Uh, brother Matt's a big leaguer. Uh, you know, Barrel gets moving through the zone. I liked what I saw in the Cape. He seems like a top three to three and a half to five round guy, four to six maybe. Um, I like when we talked earlier on a, in an earlier episode, I think one of us said, you know, if you can't get Jack Caglione at the top of the first round, you know, you can get Cole Mathis Mm. um, wherever it is in the, in the second or the third. And for me, a parallel to that is if you can't get Jonathan Santucci in the first or, or early, early second, probably the first at this point, um, you know, you can get Dominic Fritton in the third, fourth, or fifth, maybe. Uh, I really like him. NC State kid. Um, it, it, the calling card with him is this fastball. It's one to four. 
It's a tick or so down from Santucci, um, but it has that same carrying life. In 20, in last year, it averaged over 17 inches of ride on it. Again, with Santucci, when he locates it in the top of the zone, it gets a lot of swing and miss over the opposing barrel of hitters, over the barrel of opposing hitters. Uh, and last year, it it generated a miss rate of 28% and an in-zone swing percentage of 73%. He's got above-average command of it, locates it well. The secondary stuff is a little bit dumbed down. He doesn't have that slam-dunk plus pitch, um, plus secondary offering like Santucci does. But he's got a quality mid-70s changeup. It's got some depth to it. He'll manipulate its shape. And then against right-handed hitters, it's almost a true 12-6 look with, with big shape. It's got some teeth to it. Um, and it held opposing hitters to a 154 average. Changeup is more of a work in progress, um, but it plays nicely off the fastball. It'll show some fading life to the arm side. Uh, he will now headline that rotation in um, in Raleigh, and I think that he is a he is definitely one to follow. And I think that um, he's going to be a good get for someone. And then one more. Mm-hmm. He's not on the 200 now. I think that he could work his way into that range, whether it's inside the top 200 maybe just outside um and that is indiana right-handed pitcher i'm not going to say luke sonard because he's right there at like 201 or whatever um indiana right-handed pitcher connor foley sophomore eligible arm mount physically imposing kid 6'5 225 um was really good last year for the hoosiers fastball's been up to 99 he had an 85% usage rate last year. <laughs> um, it averaged almost 20 inches of vert through the zone, um, and it generated a 38% miss rate. That's an insane and, rate for a fastball. <laughs> it, and especially when he's using it at an 85% clip, like he could be signaling it to guys, and they'd still swing you know, under it. And it had an in-zone miss rate of 32%. Like yeah. he is Just for context, he, I believe in the um, – the piece we did uh, a few weeks ago looking at fastballs, I think only three pitchers had a miss rate higher than that on their fastball. So he would have been like the very elite of the class in terms of just pure miss rate on the pitch. Yeah. Like it's no doubt a plus heater secondary has got to come along. He's a reliever at the next level, I think, but as a sophomore eligible guy, if you can get that rounds seven to 10 right now, with a, around seven to 10 guy, maybe even six to nine, um, I think that's a good spot for him, and I th- I think that he's he's going to turn a lot of heads this year in the Big Ten on a really good Indiana team, and then not to to scroll and fill it with dead air, even more. But <laughs> Darian Pendergrass, we've talked about at length. I think he's a top ten round sleeper guy, similar to Foley. He's probably like that eight to ten round range, mm-hmm. double plus runner, really good barrel awareness skills, kind of a like a dunk down Enrique Bradfield in some ways. Um, he's that slash and dash guy, but doesn't yeah. have the defensive skill set that Bradfield has. No one really does, but yeah. Um, the name another... I'm. Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh no, go ahead. The name I'm excited about just seeing more of this spring, and I'm I'm going to go with Mister 200, the last player on this list. That's Andrew Dukanich, a random pitcher at Vanderbilt. When Dukanich has been on, he has shown legitimate first round stuff, and he had multiple sevens at times out of high school that kind of rocketed him up early in the spring before he had some command and control issues. He also just hasn't pitched much at all in college. He only threw 6.1 innings, appeared in four games for Vanderbilt, had a hamstring injury that really removed him from the entire season. So he's a bit of a wild card in terms of 
Like, I'm not sure what to expect of him, but I know what it looks like when he's on and at his best. And if he is that pitcher, he is going to absolutely rocket up this board. And we're going to be talking about like whether or not he fits in the first round. That, that might seem crazy for a player who's at 200 right now, but that's the sort of talent he is. And so of these players in this range, who I think just has a chance to rocket up the board, he would be one of the players I look at just because of the pure stuff, the pure arm talent. I'm fascinated to see how he's being used at Vanderbilt and just what he's looking like because there are so many question marks. Um, but again, it's it's hard for me to shake those looks of him as a high schooler at, when he was at his best. Yeah, that, I, he's a he's a guy right now that is really you know lurking in the weeds and and could really really pop up as as you mentioned. Um, and when he's on, it it looks really really freaking good. Um, and then. If I may, I've got one more guy, and it's another arm, but it's Mississippi State right-hander Nate Dome, uh, Ball State transfer, pitched exclusively out of the pit, pitched his way last year to a, a 4.07 ERA, 49 Ks, so only 12 walks and 42 innings. Super physical kid at 6.4220. The strength in his lower half is especially evident, and he's got this low release height with big time arm speed and the fastball will sit four to seven, but it's been up to 98 and 99. Um, and then his best pitch, I think overall is his mid 80 slider. It's got really sharp two plane break with a little bit of depth, 45% miss rate last spring. It's a 55 borderline 60. And then he's also got a change up in his back pocket that he didn't really throw. Um, and his feel for it is, is inconsistent, but he turned over a few really good ones last year. So if that pitch can, take a step forward. It's going to go a long way in maximizing his overall profile. Um, and the command and control has continued to take positive strides. And then last year, he made just two starts and 17 appearances, but he's going to make the jump to the weekend rotation. So if you have a quality weekend starter in the sec um, and he performs well and shows he can handle himself as a starter and as a starter professionally, He's like a, I think he's a fourth to sixth round type. Awesome. All right. So there's some insight into the deeper half of the list and beyond as we get ready for this college season. Um, Peter, are you like a YouTube TV guy for watching? I just thought about how, how I'm going to have to renew that account so I can watch all the college baseball. I can get my greedy hands on. So I'm a, I'm a YouTube TV guy. I'm also a huge ESPN plus like ESPN plus like pairing, pairing those two together, I think is like the the best way to see as much as possible. Cause if you use YouTube TV as your provider, you get access to a lot of the college networks and then ESPN plus has just a, an absurd amount of like streaming content. Uh, even if it's not being broadcast, like on a main cable channel. Yeah. ESPN plus and YouTube TV over here. I've now become a monitor guy in the new year. So I'm excited to have, Oh yeah. You did split screen on the laptop setup. You're going to be able to tweet to your heart's content while watching four games at a time (laughs) on your right-handed monitor. That'll be amazing. People people are going to get so sick of my tweeting by season's (laughs) end, but it's all right. I I like being like the NFL red zone of college baseball. So it's fun. All right. Well, that's about it for today. We're approaching an hour here. So definitely check out the top 200. If you have not yet, check out the top 25 that the Teddy and, um, Peter worked up and in addition to all the the college preview content that's now on the site, if you don't have your hands on a, an actual magazine. Um, but before we get out of here, Peter, if there's anything you want to plug or mention to listeners before we go, feel free. Um, for me, I, uh, just some normal content that's coming up around this time of year, some 
looks into the class, but mostly just excited to get on the road, excited for the college season. We've been talking about it endlessly, and it'll be great to do our first podcast where we're actually reacting to what's happened instead of looking ahead. So I, I can't wait. I know. I'm so excited. It's right around the corner, but this way it's it's predominantly college stuff. I've got next week will be the conference previews that release and also a top 100 college guys in the class of 2025. It'll be, again, the ranking of the 100 guys and then nothing too beefy in terms of scouting reports, more just a little skinny on who they are as a player, uh, what their carrying tool is, if they've got a standout tool, anything else notable. Um, so that'll be out in the middle of next week. And then after that, it'll be college podcast, draft podcast, and then college and draft content all the way through the July draft. And then after that, Cape League. So uh, it's going to be a really, really fun six months coming up. Absolutely. Can't wait. All right. Well, he's Peter. I'm Carlos. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, and hope you guys have a great February and are as excited about college baseball coming back as we are. So take care. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.